Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Thank you for participating in our Sunday of giving this morning. We're looking forward to what God's going to do amongst us. It's great to have you here. If you are a visitor, welcome to you. It's great to have you as our guest this morning at our 9.30 service. If you are listening online, you're welcome as well. It's good to have you with us. We are covering our fifth week of the series, Living the Dream, the story of Joseph. Now, if you've not been here for the last few weeks, you're probably thinking what earth has been going on. Um, it's all in your Bible. It's all good. Or you can listen to it on the podcasts, or if you, I'll try and give you a three-minute overview. Is that okay? Of four weeks of teaching. The book of Genesis is full of some incredible stories. And one of them is this story of Joseph and his maybe not so technicolor dream coat. But if you remember week one, we talked about any dream won't do. You see what I did there? Any dream won't do. The story of this 17-year-old uh, boy, this teenager, who had an incredible ability to have dreams. And God spoke to him and said, you're going you're gonna to be in charge of your brothers, your 11 brothers. 11 brothers are going to bow down to you, and you're going to be in charge. And that was a dream. And he told his brothers this dream, and they obviously were really offended by this. But we talked about God having a dream for your life. The second week then, we talked about when Joseph was sold into slavery. His brothers hated him so much, they sold him into slavery. And he was taken off to Egypt, sold to a man called Potiphar. Potiphar was, a, was one of the guards to Pharaoh, one of the part of the army that Pharaoh had. And he worked in his house, and he became successful. And then eventually, Mrs. Potiphar took a liking to Joseph. And Joseph, and I love that phrase that Trevor used, um, he predecided how he's going to deal with the challenges he would face. He predecided. And Mrs. Potiphar tried all she could, and he was like, I'm not having it. Eventually, she accused him of rape, and he was falsely accused, and he was sent to prison. And there in prison, at the lowest point, he's now been away from his family for up to 13 years. And he's probably in his early 30s in prison, and he meets two guys. He tells them the dreams. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about overcoming unforgiveness because Joseph was rejected by his family. He'd been been, uh, falsely accused by the Potiphar household. And then he had his third issue where he'd helped some people out in prison. He told them the answer to their dreams, the cupbearer and the baker. And the baker didn't have much longer left, but the, the cupbearer went back to the throne room to Pharaoh's palace, and he'd forgotten all about Joseph. He was overlooked. And we talked about how we overcome unforgiveness. And Joseph had all those experiences. And then last week, Natasha talked to us about from Genesis 41, around the story of Joseph going to Pharaoh's throne room. Pharaoh had this incredible dream about fat cows and thin cows, about fat ears of corn, thin ears of corn how they look, but seven years, and there was a dream, and he said, who can answer this dream? And eventually, the cupbearer said, I know a guy. He's been two years. I've left him lying around, but I know a guy. And Joseph, the Bible says, has a shave. Love that bit of detail. Has a shave, puts on a clean outfit, comes to see Pharaoh, and he says, I can't answer your dream, but God can. I love the fact that after 13 years in prison, with his exit in front of him, Joseph doesn't brag and say, yeah, you know what? I am pretty special. I've got this Pharaoh. He points to God, who he might have felt had abandoned him. And and Natasha talked about how in times of suffering, we need to turn our face towards God. He is the one who is our source, our comfort in times of difficulty and challenge. 
And so Joseph is now in his position of power because when he gave this, I mean, I love the way that Joseph did this. He tells Pharaoh the answer of the dream. You're going to have seven years of incredible bounty and harvest and then seven years of famine and challenge and difficulty. And then he says to Pharaoh, what you need is to employ some really clever, bright spark who could manage all of these challenges ahead of you. You know, someone like me, I could probably do the job sort of thing. And Pharaoh gives him a job on the spot. and He becomes second in charge to Pharaoh from being stuck in a prison, being sold as a slave, to suddenly becoming a senior player in this incredible nation of Egypt at that time. And that gets us up to today, week five, or Genesis chapter 42, as the Bible puts it. I want to talk today about Joseph and his brothers. Because the dream wasn't complete. Joseph coming to power was not the dream. The dream was his brothers would bow down to him. And there's this moment where Joseph becomes reconciled with his brothers. We're going to talk about that in the next four chapters. It's quite a complex way of reconciling relationships. But I want to talk today about how we make right relationships right. How we make the right relationships right. There are certain relationships we need to make sure we are looking after and caring for. I remember when Lottie and I first got married and we had our first argument. I know you're all shocked at this point. Surely that's not possible. Well, it had been a couple of hours and, well, no, no, a bit more than that. It was a few months later. We had a few sort of niggles and, you know, but this was the proper argument. And I, I cannot even now tell you what it was about. But we got into those sort of conversations which just kind of got louder and louder. And we kind of, and, and I, I have no idea what it was about. But I remember exactly where we were. And we just kind of bought this new house. It was probably about I'd left my clothes on the floor or something like that. And, and, and they had this conversation. And then my wife, Lottie, who is extremely lovely behind closed doors as well as out in the open. I'm sorry to say that and ruin it all for you all. She is beautiful and lovely. And she said to me, she said, right, I'm going to my mum's. What? And she literally walked out of the house and she got in the car and she went. And, oh, um, I, I, that, that, now, now what? I, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I, I could have chased after. We only had one car, so that would have been interesting. And, and I thought, do I ring up my mother-in-law? I mean, that's an awkward conversation, is it? Is, is Lottie there? And I just didn't know what to do. And I just felt awkward. I remember pacing around. I remember tidying up, thinking that will, that will help. When she comes back, I'll tidy. And I tidied up. And eventually she came back after about an hour. And I said, I said, where have you been? She said, I, just, I couldn't go to my mum. She said, I, I drove to the end of the road, and I just sat there in the lay-by and cried for an hour. I know, I know, I know. I felt really good at that point. So, of course, <laughs> without going into all the details, a lot of forgiveness took place and reconciliation of relationships. But, you know, here's the thing about important relationships, especially those who are married. These relationships are so precious. We must make sure we care for those who care for us. We must make sure we love and look after these relationships, the family, close friends, our wives, our husbands. And I want to talk today about how we make sure our right relationships, we get them right. Now, there's a lengthy story, which we're going to have limited time to tell you about, because this is the story of Joseph and his brothers going back together. But I'll give you some bullet points. You want to follow um, from Genesis 42. We'll jump in and out of Scripture to make sure I'm not making it all up, because it sounds like some kind of weird, um, kind of fly-on-the-wall documentary, uh, kind of crazy family um, on some sort of you know, TV, MTV show or something going on. So here's the thing. Famine kicks in. It's been seven years of plenty, and then suddenly we're going into that seven years of famine. And it doesn't just affect Egypt. It affects all the nations around Egypt including Canaan, where Joseph came from. 
And his dad, Jacob, is there, and he realizes we are in trouble. There is no food. But I've heard in, in Egypt, they've got food. They've somehow stored up food, and they're selling it to people who've got money. So Jacob gathers his sons and says to his sons, you need to go to Egypt, and you need to go and buy some grain so we can survive, and we can get through this next season. And he holds back... Um, not with that screen, if that's all right at the moment, we'll come to that in a minute. Let's tell the story first. And so he comes back to, um, he says, I won't let you have uh, Benjamin. Benjamin's my youngest, he's really precious. The rest of you can go. So he sends his 10 sons off to Egypt. And when they arrive, there's Joseph in the uh, grain sorting out place, or whatever they have, some sort of big shop. And he sees his brothers. Imagine that moment after, at this point, it will have been 20 years. After 20 years, he sees his brothers for the first time. Now, he's dealt with forgiveness from his time in prison. We can see some of that. But he's still uncertain about this relationship. And he sees them, and he goes up, and they don't recognize him. He says, I think you're spies. It's a great opening line, isn't it, for your long-lost brothers? I think you're spies. I think you come to check us out and see where we're weak in this time of famine. They said, oh, no, no, no. He said, right, I'm going to send you all off to prison. He sends them all to prison for three days. And when they come out and he meets them again, they start talking to each other in their own language, not realizing that Joseph can understand everything they're saying. And here's what they're saying to each other. It's fascinating. After 20 years, they say, we're being punished because of Joseph. We're being punished because we sold him into slavery. We're being punished because of the way we treat him. They start arguing amongst themselves. And Reuben, the oldest son, says to them all, I told you so. I love that line. It's a great word. I told you it was a bad idea. 20 years later, the way they treated their brother is still affecting them. Broken relationships damage you for years and years and years. When people tell me, oh, I, it was a long time ago now, I can forget, I can, I can move on. It affects you. It affects them after 20 years, one moment of trouble, and straight away they're going, this is because of Joseph. Joseph stands there, his brother's bowing down to him, and he realizes this is my dream becoming a reality. I've been humbled for 20 years, and now I've been exalted. God has not forgotten me. But then he goes through this weird process where he tests his brothers. And I generally believe he was testing them. I don't know who he's punishing them. And he takes them through this kind of real weird process. It's like some sort of uh, kind of game he was playing with them. He said, right, okay, you can go back, and you can take grain with you. But I want you to bring your youngest brother back with you. They told him about the family situation. They told him that Joseph, one of their brothers, was dead. It's a bit awkward because he's sitting there listening to it all. And then he sends them home and says, right, we've got to bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, back. And they knew that was a bad idea. So they leave Simeon behind on deposit. He stays there and ends up in prison. And the other brothers go back. Then on the way back, they get home and they realize inside their sacks of grain and all the money they brought to pay for the grain. You see what I mean? This is a weird story. And they realize the money's been returned. And now they're fearful. And they get back and they meet their dad, Jacob, and they explain what's happened. And they say to Jacob, we have to now go back again and get more grain. But we've got to take Benjamin. And Jacob responds out of fear. He said, I've already lost Joseph. You've carelessly left Simeon behind. And now you want me to trust you with my youngest, Benjamin, as well. That's what happens. And after, I love this, after two years, they agree, Jacob agrees to send his younger son. Poor Simeon sat there in prison for two years, like while they're arguing over whether or not we'll go back and get some more grain. So when they go back, 
they go back. And, and I love this moment as well. If you look in uh, Genesis 43, is this lovely moment where Judah steps up. Where Judah steps up and says to his dad, I'll take responsibility. Reuben, the oldest, offered his kids as responsibility. He said, oh, you can have my kids if it goes wrong. It's not a very lovely offer, is it? But Judah steps forward, and Judah's a messed up guy. If you read chapter 39, you know it's everyone who talks about the story of Joseph ignores chapter 39. It's an awkward one. All right? Theologically, it's awkward. It's just an uncomfortable relationship. Judah has ends up having a relationship with his daughter-in-law who dressed up as a prostitute. You try to explain that to your children. It's complicated. And so we kind of skip over. And Judah is like a messed up guy. And he makes mistakes. And he stands up in Genesis 43. He says, you know what, Dad? I'll take the responsibility. If it goes wrong, you can actually blame me. I'll make sure this works out. So they head back to Egypt, this time with Benjamin. Are you all still with me on this story? I'm exhausted. So they head back. I'm going to do it again in a minute. They head back to Egypt with their empty sacks and take their money back and more money for the next time round. Joseph welcomes them and he sees Benjamin and he says, come for lunch, come for a meal. They come for a meal. And I love this bit. Joseph's properly messing with their heads, right? He seats them in the order of their age. Imagine that moment. There's, there's 11 of you and you're all sitting in a row. I mean, whether you're on one side of the table, like the Last Supper, I've no idea. But you're, you're sitting there, and suddenly you realize, how do they know who was the oldest? And who, do you imagine that moment? Like, this is a bit weird. And Benjamin gets given five times the amount that everyone else has given. He's given extra portions. And, and there's this moment where Joseph uh, greets them, and then um, he, he loses his uh, emotions. He l- runs out the room, he washes his face, he comes back in, and eventually sends them off again. Again, with their sacks full, but this time all their money is back in the sacks as well. But he's placed. Oh, it's a great game, this one. How much fun he must have had planning it for two years. He places a piece of his crockery, a special cup, in the sack of Benjamin. And Benjamin in his bag there on his, on his donkey has this, he doesn't even know it's there. And then he lets them go back to Canaan. And just as they're out of the door and they're on their way, he calls one of his servants. And he says, go run after them and accuse them of stealing my special cup. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, can you? You're going, no, Sim, you're reading some weird film script. I'm telling you, it's in the Bible. I'm giving you the short version, but I'm telling you, it's there. Genesis chapter 44. And Joseph goes through his process, and the the steward, the servant, comes up. and goes, right, who's nicked the piece of crockery from from Joseph's palace? They're like, well, not me, not me. And eventually it turns out it's in Benjamin's sack. And suddenly all his brothers go, whoa, no, don't, don't, don't. Benjamin's our youngest brother. Our dad will lose it if you take him away. We can possibly. And as one, they say, we will return. You can have all of us, but don't take Benjamin. Oh, how their attitudes have changed. How they have changed. And they come back to Joseph, and Joseph is there. And I, and I, I do genuinely believe that Joseph was testing them, not punishing them. You know, I think he wants to see whether they'd learnt anything or not. You know, when you're in an unhealthy relationship and you're thinking about building a right relationship with someone again, you don't want to just jump straight back in. There's a piece of time it takes to, can I trust this person again? Have they changed or are they just telling me what they think I want to hear? Just because somebody has wronged us doesn't mean we have to become back into friendship again. We may need to take time and to assess the situation. I believe that's what Joseph was doing. His 17-year-old self would have made them suffer. He'd have punished them. He'd have sent them to prison. As a mature young man, 
he was now asking questions of them and what they would do. So they return and he realizes that their brothers have changed. And in chapter 45, when they've all been returned, Joseph, it says in the Bible, can stand it no longer. He sends all the servants out of the room. He's left just with his 11 brothers. And then in tears coming down his face, he says, I am Joseph. I know it's a Bible story, but can you imagine the emotions that are going around at that point? The fear from the brothers, the uncertainty of what's going to happen next, the excitement, the disappointment, the worry, whatever, all was going around that place. Joseph comes round and he hugs and kisses all his brothers. And he said, God meant this for good. That's powerful. To forgive in that way, to reconcile in that way. In Genesis 45, verse 5, he says this. Please don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. He's making it clear. You did it. You absolutely did it. But it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God is good, isn't he? God is good. And that's the story. And I wanted to quickly learn three things from that story before we um, take some time just to respond to what we're hearing this morning. Because Joseph could have easily held a grudge against his brothers, but he decided to make the relationship right. God meant it for good. We know that all things work together for good for those who love him. He's been called according to his riches in Romans 8. But this making right, the first thing I want to say is this. When it comes to making relationships right, it's not with everybody, it's just with the right people. You know, if you look at the story of Joseph, you'll notice, as far as we know, he doesn't make it right with Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. He doesn't track down the Ishmaelite traders who were just doing their job anyway and say, Oi, you sold me, you bought me. He doesn't get upset with the, he doesn't go and find the, the cupbearer from Pharaoh's palace and say, Oi, we need to talk about this. He makes sure he reconciles the right relationships. Not every wrong relationship needs to be made right. If you've had an argument on the phone with someone who cold called you, you don't have to phone up and try and apologize and reconcile your relationship with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are certain people you need to make sure you have healthy relationships with. Some relationships are, have been unhealthy and they are historical relationships that you used to spend years trying to get away from. Don't just jump straight back into because you've heard Sim do a talk on a Sunday. Let's make sure we're making the relationships right with the right people. Number one, the right people. We're meant to live, it says in Romans 12, with all people. But I don't believe that means we have to be best friends with everybody. To live in peace is different to being in perfect relationship. Jesus in Matthew 18 talks about making it right with our brothers. Our brothers. I believe he's talking about there people who are God's family or your family. I think we have a responsibility to get our relationships right in our families and in our church family. And Ephesians 4 talks about don't go to bed angry without resolving those issues, especially for those of you who are married, making sure you resolve stuff. This is a little early one for you, Gemma and Harry. Uh, not, don't go to bed upset with the other one. Um, make sure you clear stuff away before you mull it over and deal with it. Sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's easier to make those quicker decisions than it is just kind of let them linger for a long time. Number two, I want to say this as well. Um, well, before I say that, I say, um, if you don't get reconciled with the right people, you don't mend those relationships, I believe that, that it will slow you down in seeing your dreams fulfilled. I genuinely believe broken relationships hold you back. 
if you can restore them appropriately, it will enable you to be catapulted forward because it's always sitting in the back of your head. It's always a worry. It's the fact that Joseph's brothers, after 20 years, turned up and they went, oh, this is because of Joseph that we're being punished. It sat there for 20 years. Make the relationships right with the right people. The second thing is about the right time. It's not always the right time to make relationships right. Sometimes you're going to have to wait. Joseph waited two years before he made it right. He didn't push for reconciliation. Sometimes we've got to have times of conversation and gentle um, just exploration of possibilities of, of, of could we relate once again? Could we be back into friendship again? Jesus himself made it clear in Matthew chapter 5 that, that we, if we've been offended by someone and they're aware of this, we should make things right before we bring our offering to the altar. We should put our offering to one side, the Bible says, and make things right with them. It doesn't mean before we do a financial giving on a Sunday, as we've done today, or whether we start worship, we nip off and say to somebody, oh, by the way, I've had a bit of a problem with you for years, but I'm, I'm fine now. I thought I'd let you know that. Let's carry on singing, shall we? That's awkward. Let's not do that. There is a right time to have these conversations. If it's a minor offense, get it done quickly. Don't let things fester. Um, but if it's something big, then I would encourage you to make sure that you rebuild relationships where you can. And also, it's about the right place. Joseph dismissed all the servants before he had the conversation. Don't have a, a personal conversation with somebody in front of others that might shame them or embarrass them or make them feel uncomfortable. Don't air your dirty linen in public, I suppose. And can I say this as well? Face-to-face is always better with these kind of conversations. Emailing somebody, your disappointment in them and the breakdown of your relationship shows there is a lack of relationship. If you're serious, try and find some time one-on-one, face-to-face. It's not easy. But if there are, and right now, I know right now you'll be sitting there, there'll be people in your head who think, I need to have that conversation. Please don't text them while you're listening. Um, Please don't just, you know, spend some time, find the right place, find the right time. It's always the best way to resolve relationships in private where no one else can be involved if possible. Maybe you have someone with you to make it safe for you. That might be possible, but I would encourage you to find the right time and the place. Thirdly, and this is so important, to have the right attitude. Joseph could have had a terrible attitude, almost deservedly so, but he chose to forgive He chose to treat his brothers appropriately and to bring restoration to their relationship. Joseph overcame his ill feeling from his brothers. He had an attitude of grace and love. Joseph was very clear, you've wronged me, but I also want to reach out with grace and that God gives. You see, the story of Joseph, for me, is also a foreshadowing the story of Jesus. That Jesus went to a foreign place, earth. Jesus suffered, Jesus was punished, Jesus was falsely accused. Jesus then forgave and he offered us so much more grace than we deserve. I believe that we need to be reconciled, not just with each other, but also reconciled with God. That I believe God holds his hands out to each one of us today and says, I want to be in a right relationship with you. Yes, I want you to have a right relationship with each other, but I want you to have a right relationship with me as well. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. As that comment earlier about plundering hell. Our task 
being given to us here by Paul in the, the Corinthians letter here to Corinthians. He's saying, our task is to reconcile people to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The gospel message is a message of forgiveness and reconciliation, of restored relationship. I'm going to leave you just with this last quote. Get the worship team to make their way up. That'd be great. Um, this is a guy called Paul David Tripp, who's a regular writer and a, an author. And he says these words, The church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he designed. That's what we're called to do. Freedom Church is not a theological classroom. We're not a test bed. We are a bunch of flawed people, a community, that love God and want to help other people discover God for themselves as well. It's all about relationships. We often say people really matter. Our relationships with each other really matter. Our relationship with God really matters. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.